Hello and welcome to the Swimming Ideas Podcast. This is episode number 83, Writing Swim Practices During COVID-19. That's right, we're going to talk about how I've been writing swim practices for the last three weeks, and maybe you can get some takeaways as we go forward with the rest of summer. This is July 6th, and we're going to be running swim team practices out of our outdoor pool and indoor pool through August. So join me and let's get started. right today we are talking about writing swim practices during the era of coronavirus or COVID-19. Now we've been running swim practices for our USA swimming team under the Restore Illinois guidelines and the USA swimming guidelines uh, for operating and running youth sports and team sports. and following those guidelines very closely with as many protections built in as we can. Now, we've been doing this for the last three weeks uh, for about eight hours a day, Monday through Friday. And we're going to continue to do this, adapting our schedule to the stage four in Illinois, which allows for recreation facilities to open with 50% or 25% capacity, as well as outdoor pools. So, uh, we're looking to, I'm going to walk you through what we've been doing and how I've been writing my practices uh, for a diverse group of swimmers because we only allow seven participants at a time and it is group agnostic. So we have groups with advanced swimmers that have been swimming on a competitive team for two, three, four years, as well as beginners. So how can you adapt one practice for everybody? And as we go forward in the next two months, we're actually going to have practices for group specifics. So we'll have practices for our beginners, our developmental swimmers by themselves. And then for our second tier, our competitive uh, people who have gone through the developmental program independently on their own. So uh, let me talk about what we've done and how we've set up our pools, because I think this might help someone who is looking at getting started with doing their swim team or even running lessons. And this might apply for you if you have an indoor pool and you're not sure how you can go about accommodating the uh, public or your, st- or your participants in your pool. So uh, we have a four lane 20 yard pool. It's in a very closed system. So uh, it's very um, separated. There's, it's surrounded by walls. It's very echoey and small. There's one entrance through the locker rooms, which is pretty standard. And then there's an emergency entrance and or exit for EMS, which is the emergency uh, management system. Um, and the way we do this is we open those emergency doors. So 
that's the primary entrance. There are these double doors, glass doors, that are open at one corner of the pool. And we open them up and we put these floor fans that you can generally use for drying out wet carpets. They work really well for blowing across the surface of the water, so blowing the chloramines off the surface of the water, but also for encouraging airflow across the pool into the exhaust fans that we have on the opposite side of the pool. So we open up these emergency doors, we put these two fans in front, like in the doorway, so that it can blow fresh air through the pool, and that's where our participants enter. They enter, they line up outside. So we have seven participants. They line up outside six feet apart. They have their own sphere of uh, existence outside. We walk them in with a coach chaperone. They keep six feet apart wearing masks. So everyone, even outside, needs to wear a mask if they arrive at our facility. Uh, and then once they come into the building, they must maintain or keep that mask on until they get to their six foot distant section of the far side of the pool along a bench where they can put their stuff. So each person has a squared off area. It's about three feet uh, square where they can put their bag, they can put their shoes, their clothes, uh, and take their mask off. And then they wait in those sectioned off areas and go behind their lanes. So we have a four lane pool we only accommodate seven because we have a large ADA staircase on one side of a lane and it takes up a considerable portion of the wall space and it makes it very difficult to have more than one person in that lane. Every other lane has one person at each end, so participants are sharing a lane with one other person. We do our best to put same household people in the same lane, so siblings, go in the same lane on opposite ends. We have one coach, uh, or we had one coach for the last three weeks, and we'll have two going forward and two lifeguards on the pool deck. The lifeguards, as a side note here, are not interacting directly. They have their own break chair and their own guarding chair. We have a relatively small pool, so we don't need multiple chairs, um, like multiple people. Uh, we have two for emergency, so if one is lifeguarding, the other one can assist. And they operate on their own, so they're never using the same material, and they're never sitting in their same chair, and they're separated by six feet throughout the duration of their shift. So if they do need to come into contact, it's only during a rescue, which uh, thankfully has been extremely rare. Um, so we have seven participants, one coach. We'll have two coaches going forward and then uh, two lifeguards. And we've been running practices every hour for about eight hours a day for the last three weeks to get about, uh, what is it, about 70 people, 100 people in uh, about, actually no, about 56 to 70 people in the water every day. Uh, and, and going forward, we're gonna have three hours of pool time. So we're gonna have three groups of seven Monday through Friday going forward. So we still can't increase the numbers in the indoor pool, um, but uh, we'll have what is it, what is that, 21 participants each day. Uh, so we'll have to break up our groups. Our developmental groups will practice Mondays and Tuesdays in our more advanced competitive 
um, learning groups will practice on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So based on our numbers, that's going to accommodate pretty much everybody. At our outdoor pool, we can put four people in a lane, uh, so spaced out significantly. And there will be some people that have to start and stop in the middle of the pool doing their swimming from there without a wall to start and stop. We'll put sunken shapes, like um, they're like shadow shapes on the bottom of the pool or stickers. They're weighted shadow plastic things on the bottom of the pool so they can know where to stop and where to stand. Uh, so as we bring them in, they line up outside, they walk inside, um, they walk inside in a line, they put their stuff down, they change, they split, get on opposite ends of the pool, and then here's where we get into the meat of how you write a swim practice for COVID-19. Now, I think this is going to be beneficial to you because uh, I found it to be extremely effective. Uh, it was difficult on the first day because a lot of our swimmers hadn't been swimming for three months and they had forgotten some basic things. And we had to really reteach how to read the clock specifically, how to count 30 seconds. And our younger swimmers are particularly bad at looking at the clock. We have a large, um, always moving stopwatch clock. Um, it's not digital, it's an analog one. And it's really easy. I mean, you just look at the number and then you look on the opposite side and that's 30 seconds. It's half of a circle. But we had to take specific care to reteach that. So if you're going to go on 30 seconds rest, which worked very well for developmental through um, this first competitive group. Um, it worked really well. If you have more advanced swimmers, so I'm thinking high school or re like um, competitive and older enough to kind of use a clock in, in tandem, you can set everybody on the same interval. So you don't necessarily need to do rest intervals, but for the younger, which is we're going to focus on here for developmental, uh, and even in, to some degree, you can extend this to swim lessons. We're doing things on rest. So there will be independent people moving, but because they're largely the same ability, you can adapt things to keep them from interacting or coming in close contact. So uh, the coaches that are on the pool deck, the lifeguards are always wearing mask, masks, face coverings. They never take them off. Uh, the swimmers have to take them off to swim. So that's why they have that strict six-foot distancing throughout practice. Um. So writing practices, what, what's, the, what's the format, how is this being done, and what are the, the, the benefits of the way that we've been doing it and why I'm sharing it with you. So um, I write the practices in advance. I put them on the website, swimminglessonsideas.com, and then push it out to a subsite uh, that we have for our swim team. So when they go to, when, when I'm going to it, it's going to our swim team website, even though I've written it on swimminglessonsideas.com. So that is an option. If you are interested in this, you can check out the developmental swim practices online, and you can get that available for individual subscription or as a team. So if you have a team of coaches, you can subscribe. One person can be the point person uh, and get up to, you know, there's an infinite number of coaches you can add, but starting at two and you'll get a discount for more people that you add. Uh, and then you can, everyone can write practices on their own using the pre-built uh, challenges, games, activities that are already in there. So everything that we do at practice, you can access and just with a couple clips, 
put that into your practices as well as create your own. So we, I use the same software online as, as you have access to here with the developmental swim practices. So I write that out in advance. And when I'm running these practices, I'm following a specific philosophy for this practice. Uh, I wanna keep our swimmers moving. I wanna make sure that they've been gone out of the water since March and for the most part. And I wanna keep them moving. I wanna keep them active. I wanna keep them engaged. So the primary focus here is aerobic conditioning. In addition to that, knowing the challenges of who we're working with, which is a diverse group of swimmers from beginners, intermediate to um, developmental. So that's a diverse group. I want it to be self-guided. So I want it to be challenging enough and interesting enough for those people that know what they're doing, but also easy enough and accessible enough that the beginners aren't overwhelmed and terrified of coming back. And then as a coach, how can I interact with these seven participants that are of diverse abilities without alienating any one of them? So that's, that's kind of the philosophy that I'm looking at and the mindset that I'm in. And I want to put them, so I want it to be self-guided. So each person can move through it on their own. And then without lots of hand-holding direction and speaking, because I'm wearing a, a face covering, I'm wearing a mask, and it's really hard to speak or yell loudly enough with a face covering on and have our swimmers understand us. It's a surprisingly shocking how often swimmers read our lips instead of hearing the words we say. They go by our facial expressions. They go by the way our mouths are moving. They respond to us based on the way our face looks. And with the face covering, with the face mask, they can't see that. So uh, if you are comfortable, you can wear the face shield if you don't mind the obstruction to your eyesight. Uh, if you pe peel off that really thin layer of plastic, it makes it a bit better, but it's still a little bit um, uncomfortable, but you can get around some of that with that. So our, my philosophy is keep them moving, put them on an aerobic conditioning uh, focus, put them on rest intervals, make it as self-guided as possible. Make it challenging and fun. So not just boring, mindless laps for an hour. These are six, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-olds that are craving stimulation, excitement, and fun. So I want to give that to them, but in a safe way that isn't, um, uh, isn't boring. Uh, and then I want to make sure that everyone has maintaining a socialized uh, distance. So actually, I, I want them to socialize with their peers because they've been uh, isolated from them for a long time. I want them to be able to socialize, but from a distance. So without crossing that six foot barrier. The practices themselves, what do they look like? Uh, we always begin with the warm up. For me, that's always the 100 IM kick. I love it because it gives you that introduction to all four strokes and it gets them in the water moving right away, especially with butterfly kick. As a note, I know a lot of coaches like to have fly kick done in streamline. I think for beginners and children, it's not the best choice because it tends to flatten out their body position. Now, again, this will vary, but from what I've seen looking at some of my, the more advanced swimmers that I haven't been coaching for a while, their fly kicks have become very flat and focused on their legs more. If you have them put their hands by their side, automatically right away, they do more chest and belly and hips and less straight leg kicking. So keep that in mind. That was an observation I had in the last three weeks. Uh, maybe it's worth further consideration. Maybe inject some fly kick with your hands by your side instead of in streamline all the time.
Our warm-up is always that 100 IM kick, a brief longer aerobic, and then a 50 position 11. Now, those of you that have been paying attention to the Swimming Ideas podcast or even paying attention to some of the instructional information that we put out on the developmental practices, or maybe you follow it and you're wondering, why isn't it 225s? Well, there's a good reason for that. For coronavirus, we never want people on the same side. So if you have two people from two different families on each side of the lane, we don't want them stopping on the same side inside that six-foot distance because we can't get it in a lane. And if we have independent uh, practices because they're of different ability levels, maybe we have a developmental one group in a lane with a competitive one group, which is a difference of two years and lots of experience. If we have them sharing a lane, we can't have them stopping because that faster swimmer is going to go through the practice quicker. We want to have them always on their own side. So the minimum distance we're going to do is a 50. So that means their minimum distance is back and forth. So they should always stop on their own side. Now there will be occasions where someone is doing a flip, someone's doing a turn, but I think that's a minimal amount of interaction uh, with uh, it's not as likely to produce the viral load that's going to be necessary to transmit coronavirus. Now, this is subjective conjecture. It's not fact, so it's possible they could be transmitting it from a brief interaction like this, but from what we know of it, it's prolonged exposure in a confined environment. So if they're not stopping, they're just doing a turn, and maybe the other person is turning away or making room for them, the chances of of transmission aren't uh, as possible, in my opinion. So uh, that's something that you're going to have to decide for yourself, but that's why we do 50s. Like I said, our warm-up, so that position 11 is there because I love position 11. I think it applies to all groups. Going from there, each I'll do... We then follow a pattern or a mini set and we repeat it five or six times. Now, I'm doing this because, again, our focus is on aerobic conditioning. As we go through the rest of the season and we have more group-specific practices, Monday, Wednesday, Friday are for our competitive group, uh, and Tuesday, Thursday are for our developmental groups. So I can tailor those practices a bit more without needing to accommodate the diverse skill set. So in the past, it was always these chunks that followed the same pattern. And it it was very entertaining because the participants came to expect what was happening and they were looking forward to the fun parts of it without complaining or um, having issues with the aerobic parts of it that could be a lot more boring. But they actually tended, and this is a theory and this is a thing that I've said a lot, is that if you are doing um, activity, activity, and then a challenge or a game, then you're resetting the attention span of your swimmer so you get better effort and excellence out of those times that you're doing your activities. So let me explain this a little bit. In the swim lesson, in the swim practice format that we've been writing for coronavirus, we have seven participants, one on each side, and they're on their own intervals 30 seconds apart. So they do an activity, they rest 30 seconds, and they do it, or they do the next activity. For the swim practices, the, the chunk of each set is aerobic swimming, aerobic kicking, and then a challenge. 
Now that aerobic swimming could be 450s or it could be two 100s. The aerobic kicking could be uh, 250s or 450s. It, it changes. The, the nuances and the details change, but it's swimming, kicking, and then a challenge. And then during the challenge is when the slower people can catch up or we can modify the distances for the developmental swimmers and allow the competitive swimmers to swim the full amount. So for example, if our set is to keep it easy, two 100s freestyle, that's the swim aerobic, two 50s freestyle kick, then maybe instead of doing 100s, the developmental people can do 50s. And instead of doing two 50s kick, they can do just one. Right, so we're modifying the distance because it'll take them the same amount of time to complete as the competitive swimmers who are faster. They can do the complete set and in the same amount of time. And then during the challenge, they all participate. They all do it. They get a brief respite. They get a brief rest. They get a chance to socialize. And they get a chance to do something fun, interesting, and entertaining. Now, you can look at a number of challenges on our website, swimminglessonsideas.com. Under the Swim Games tab, or the Games tab, it says Swim Challenges, the new swimming game. And I really think this is the case. Challenges are essentially targeted games that give swimmers something that looks easy, but is actually quite difficult to do. And I'll give you an example of one of the challenges that um, even the competitive swimmers really struggled with. And it's quite simple, really. Float on your back and keep two feet touching the wall for 10 seconds. So what's going to happen is most swimmers will be dangling their toes on the wall while they drift away from the wall. And the challenge here is, is to use your hands to skull to keep yourself pushing against the wall the whole time. I really liked it because a lot of people, it's a very simple thing to do, but it's a very challenging thing to actually maintain keeping your feet pressing against the wall for 10 seconds while you're on your back floating. I encourage you to try it if you're one of those people that like to get in the water and swim or try it out with your swimmers and then check in with me. Go to anchor.fm and ask a question. There's a link at the bottom of every page on, swim, on, on swimminglessonsideas.com and you can uh, ask a question, but just leave a comment. Say, hey, I tried out this challenge floating on your back with two feet on the wall for 10 seconds, and how did it go? Let me know. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can do that really easily. You can do it on your phone. You can do it on, a, on your computer any way you want. Just if you have a microphone, you can record and ask that question, or just give me that feedback. Uh, but go ahead and do that. Another challenge, I know I'm getting on a tangent here. Another challenge I really liked, which um, I thought was really funny. Um, I don't know how I came up with this. I'm sure it's not an original idea. Uh, but uh, the plus signs on the end of the lanes, put your head in the middle of that plus sign, stay underwater and do three breaststroke kicks and keeping your head pressed against that spot. Now, most kids are going to float up to the surface. Uh, and so this is a breath control and it's a strong kick challenge. And it's really difficult to do. And even the younger swimmers can sometimes master it. But the more competitive swimmers really struggle with it sometimes. And I really enjoyed that challenge as well. So maybe you'll get your uh, some benefit out of that. But those challenges do a really good job of encouraging um, interaction with the coach and with each other where they're like, oh, did you do it? Were you able to do it? Oh, that was a success. Oh, that was a fail. And if you're interested, I do use the word fail. 
Um, there's some more information about that there. But again, that's one of those things to de desensitize our swimmers to the concept of failure because they should be failing at regular intervals. Uh, but those challenges are great to reset the enthusiasm for their aerobic conditioning sets. So after the challenge, we move the screen. We use a television screen um, where we put the, uh, pr uh, the practice information, that which I wrote on our website. And we move on to the next set, and they attack the aerobic conditioning, the aerobic swimming, the aerobic kicking with vigor, with enthusiasm, because they've had this brief opportunity of fun, of excitement during the challenge, uh, and they want to get through it so they can do the next challenge, which is new, interesting, and different. And what I found from this format is that I get, they tend to have better attention to doing things well if they have this challenge break time. And it, it doesn't take a lot of time. It takes two to three, maybe four minutes. Um, and it ties into this philosophy that we're providing a socializing ex experience for swimmers who have been isolated for the last two, three months. Um, and I, I encourage you to give this a try. Try it out. Let me know how it goes for you. Um, and then at the end of our practices... We get everyone out, usually with a final challenge of some kind. They get out, go back to their squares on the pool deck. They put their clothes on, <clears throat> so over their suits, or they just dry off. Put their mask back on when everyone has their shoes, their mask, their clothes, their bags. We walk out through a separate exit. We go through the woman's locker room and then out through an emergency exit door into the parking lot where their parents come and pick them up. So... And then the next group comes in for the next hour. So it's this one-way street where the swimmers come into the pool, they go into the water, they get out, and they exit through a different exit uh, without ever backtracking or seeing another group. I want to know what you think. Well, how are you handling coronavirus and swim practices? How are you writing? What's your philosophy behind creating practices right now? Are you looking at complicated multi-step interval training or are you and there's a there's a place for that there I think there is um, but maybe that's for your high school masters or more competitively advanced swimmers what are you doing with your developmental swimmers how are you keeping them engaged how are you providing socializing opportunities from a safe distance and how are you maintaining their attention without being boring for an hour of swimming let me know you can put a comment in the post below, or you can, like I said before, reach out to anchor.fm slash swimming ideas and leave a comment um, by leaving a message or it says asking a question, but either one works and I'll be excited to hear from you. So thank you. And tomorrow we can teach better lessons together.